So many things are happening in our church family this time of the year. Uh, next Sunday, we'll have, at least from this campus, our high school young people will be here. We have a waiting list uh, from here to the downtown Houston, kids trying to get in. We've absolutely filled everything we can in Pensacola, Florida, so you begin to pray for us as we go. We'll have literally 20 to 25,000 kids will be under the auspices of our church with vacation Bible school and all that we do. So pray for us. We have a lot of things going on. Uh, Dr. Boutros, uh, Dr. Duncan, would you come forward, please? They didn't particularly know this. Where are you, Mike? Where? All right, here they are. They did, they did get kept. These two men are surgeons, plastic surgeon, a cardiovascular surgeon, and they've been along with a team in Guatemala. How long were we all there, Sean? Eight days. Eight days. And they didn't just do hair lifts, which that was a part of it. Y'all had one surgical procedure that you called back or called back and said, pray for us. How long did it last, Sean? And what were you doing? We had one person who had a rare tumor in their jaw, and we had to remove their jawbone and rebuild it with a procedure where we take their leg bone to transplant it to their face to rebuild their jaw. Um, long, very complicated procedure. Uh, unfortunate young man who had been waiting for this procedure for over seven years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, the tumor kept growing and growing and growing. And we were, he would run out of hope. And the Lord, through his grace and mercy, uh, used the skills he loaned Dr. Duncan and I to help this young man and others like him. And physician teams do this. And so... We just praise God. What other things did you did y'all do while you're down? You had a physician team down there, did you not, Mike? Yeah, we um, we did. Sean did some uh, other incredible cases. Uh, a leg, uh, an arm that was, had been burned when the patient was 40 days old, mm. and the contraction her hand was facing this way. Goodness. And he he uh, reconstructed that. Oh. How many surgeons were down there? Just, just the two of you. We had a total of we had a total of uh, six uh, surgeons. We did cases that are very meaningful for the people. There's uh, people with gallbladder disease, hernia disease, prostate disease, uh, a lot of disease that that we take for granted for treatment. Uh, but in, in some of these people in Guatemala, uh, without. Uh, this work of this organization that we work through, Faith and Practice, where we can demonstrate Christ's love in a way that we can change lives, but all for the glory of Christ, and that's what's important. Amen, thank you, Ben. We pray for that. We, I know we have another physician in our church that is in Lebanon today, and I know they're been, See, we have things going on. The body of Christ is worldwide. And we're responsible for loving, ministering to, touching, helping. We've got three churches in Beirut, Lebanon, that we work with. We've got churches uh, there near the, in Damascus that we're working with. So we have people all over the world we run. This is just our church now. We run a hospital in an area in Africa, and on and on it goes. That's the body of Christ. We don't go into all this all the time. But that's where we are. That's what Christ's people 
are to be doing. So I wanted to share this uh, because I heard, I knew they were there. We'd been praying for them. And that 13-hour surgery, I'm telling you, it was really something. And we praise God for the giftedness of our family of faith as we all do what we can to let everybody know whose side we're on. Um, I have on today a, a, a red band, a watch. Harold Reese gave this to me, and he said, that's your beach retreat right? watch. It resists sand. And so I don't know if that's going to work, but pray especially. You'll see part of the kids here next Sunday, and then we'll leave that afternoon, and we will go and pray that God will do a mighty work with our young people at this moment in time. I've been trying to teach Psalm 23 for two Sundays. Uh, I should be ready by now. By the way, a challenge to the choir. We have a fabulous choir, fabulous musicians. We all know that. But I've told Pastor Brooks that when we get average about 200 in the choir, which we should every Sunday, we're prepared to take and have a full hour of worship on international television, but we need another 100 or so up here where the orchestra will come down here and may run me out of the pulpit. And I think of the world needs to see a church worshiping, a church worshiping. So that's the challenge that we have in our church family. We'll dedicate the children's building uh, the last Sunday in August. We'll use it before we officially dedicate it uh, because for VBS because we have no place to put the kids. So uh, pray for all of this at this wonderful time in which God is visiting, visiting the world, I believe, in a fresh new way. Well, I'd better give it away, John. I don't like to, you know, Ben uses a microphone, a lot of preachers do. I don't like to be encumbered by anything. I don't like big old pulpits. I would not even have a pulpit except a place to put my Bible. Y'all don't know that because I think you speak with your whole body. That's just my style and everybody has their own style. Um, Charles Colburn, famous Broadway actor for many years. He would be in plays that would last six months, a year, sometimes two years. And so some reporter asked him and said, you're one of the great actors of all time on Broadway. How do you keep your lines fresh? When you sometimes twice a day, month after month after month, you say the same thing over and over again. How, how do you keep it alive? How does the cast not get stale and complacent? And Mr. Colbert said, well, once in a while, we just shut down the play for two or three days, and we take all the cast 
and bring them together and we bring the author of the play forward and we ask all of us to listen to the words that we have been saying over and over and over again for month after month and sometimes year after year and the author will challenge us, hear these words as if you had never heard them before. As I jumped back in the middle of Psalm 23, I wrote a little book on this Psalm probably 30 plus years ago. I just opened it up and I read it and I asked the Lord and I spoke to myself and I said, I wanna hear this familiar Psalm and listen to it and read it as if I had never read it before. And when I did that, a Psalm that's best known by most of us, one of the great words in all the book of Psalms, I did that and wonderful things happened. I saw things, I heard things, I perceived things that I never imagined or, or read about or looked into in all the years that I have studied and you have heard Psalm number 23. I read about a family, large family, many generations. They had a family reunion and this family sort of adopted 23rd Psalm. They'd used it when children were born, they'd use it at weddings, they'd use it at funerals, and they'd use it at special occasions. So they had had these reunions every five years or so, and literally a couple of hundred relatives and friends would come and they'd have a big spread and have a entire day of celebration. And always the 23rd Psalm would be quoted. And at this particular celebration, one of the cousins in the family had married a guy who taught rhetoric at the university. He had been an actor and they asked him for all the group of a couple of hundred to recite the 23rd Psalm. Now here's someone who is a drama coach, someone who is a great actor and he stood up and he quoted it, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And in a very dramatic fashion, he quoted this great word. When he got through, everybody <laughs> applauded. My goodness, it was, it was beautiful. It was eloquent. It had all the intonations of someone who would be a, a dramatist. Quote a great passage. And there they had the dinner and they got through. At the end of the dinner and the celebration, they said, you know, Uncle Billy has always recited the 23rd Psalm. Before we go, let's get Billy to recite it. And here's an elderly man up in his 90s. And Billy said, no, no. He said, yes, Billy. And so Billy stood up and he quoted the 23rd Psalm. And people began to weep and they didn't respond. And when he got through, there was a holy hush over the family. 
And so when they were going out, a teenage boy was walking out with his dad and said, Dad, you know, that actor quoted 23rd Psalm. Everybody applauded and stood and cheered. It said Uncle Billy quoted it, and it was sort of a hush, and nobody said anything, and, and I heard people weeping. Same words. What's the difference? And the father said, well, the, the actor knew the psalm, but Uncle Billy knows the shepherd. So we look at these verses, the Lord is, time out. The Lord, the word for Lord there, we've looked at it and we studied the first 11 Psalms. We know it's the word Jehovah. We know it's used over 6,000 times in the Bible. And therefore, one linguist said, as he studied Hebrew, there are three uses of the Hebrew word to be. When you say Jehovah, you're saying the Lord was yesterday, the Lord was today, and the Lord will be tomorrow. Like in the New Testament, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's all wrapped up in a linguistic study of the verb to be in the Lord. It is a personal word. It is God is personal, God is intimate. God is not way up there, God is right here. You know, once in a while I'll meet somebody and they'll say something like, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. And I'd say, really? No, I don't believe in the Lord. I don't believe in God anymore. And I always ask them the same thing. What kind of God do you not believe in? Because probably the kind of God you do not believe in is the same kind of God I don't believe in. God, what is God like? There's a lot of metaphors in the Bible, is it not? He's like a rock. He's like a king. And so we have a lot of metaphors, but I don't know of one any better, more intimate, more personal than to say, the Lord, God is like a shepherd. Remember David penned this inspired by the Holy Spirit He'd been a shepherd. He knew what it took to be a shepherd. And you say, the Lord is my shepherd. We know Jesus said very clearly, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for you. A shepherd puts his life on the line 24 seven to look after the sheep, does he not? Sheep, the Lord is. That's affirming the fact of the Almighty, and then we ask, what kind of Almighty, what kind of God is this? And we see it is a God that has revealed in perfection in Jesus Christ. We wonder what God is like, what God would have me to do, all these crazy things. Just take a long look at the living Christ. Look at Jesus, and you have all your answers right there in his Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Lord is my shepherd, 
And that word, my, may be the biggest word in all the 23rd Psalm. And you say, well, he is my shepherd, therefore, guess what? All of us are sheep. Yeah, if he's our shepherd, we have to be sheep, right? That's logical. And for a long time, I have read and taught, well, sheep are dumb. And I said this evidently on some television program or service recently, and I got a letter from Omaha, Nebraska, a lady. We get a lot of letters, a lot of comments, incidentally. I rarely mention them. But she wrote me and said, you don't know anything about sheep. They're not dumb. You need to do your homework. Signed her name, I think it was Aura, Oprah, I don't remember. And so I said, you know, I'll check that out. Because you've heard me say, boy, sheep are dumb. Well, a deep dive into sheep, and I was not up to date. There's been a lot of study on sheep, the nature and character of that domesticated mammal. And lo and behold, when you read the characteristics of sheep, you know where you end up today? They're a lot like human beings. They're a lot like human beings. It comes about that they know each other. They have lifetime friends. With their bleeding, they communicate that things are wonderful. With their bleeding, they communicate things are in danger. They, they have community. They are a caring. Sheep have different personalities. Some tend to wander off like some humans. Some tend to stay close, like some humans. Some tend to stay in their family. Some tend to move out, and they move around in herds and come to find out sheep are a lot like human beings. Now, they do not have many defense mechanisms. Their eyesight is superior. Their sense of smell is superior. But sheep, it turns out, are have personalities, they have character, they have relationships. And the wonderful thing about sheep, like so many animals do, in their herd, they put the little lambs in the middle so they'll be protected. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. The Bible teaches us that. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for you. So we see another understanding of sheep with a more enlightened view of their nature and their character. And I love the fact that they just put the whole herd around the lambs for protection. This is what we do in the second family with our little lambs, ladies and gentlemen. This is who we are. A lot of churches say, oh, we love kids. We've got evidence we love kids in this family. Our lambs are the future, and that's what this body of faith, first of all, is primary about in our kingdom calling. So, the Lord is, yes. Our shepherd, yes. Therefore, we are his sheep. The Lord is what is the Lord like? We say he's like a shepherd. And so many times we misunderstand the nature and character of God. I 
heard about a family that went on a sleeper. I didn't know they still had sleepers, you know. Uh, you, you go and you, there's a coach on trains and they have places that you sleep, little bunks, and this family was going cross country and they found a, a plane, I'm not sure, a train, not sure it was Amtrak, but they had sleepers. And so the, the parents were on this side of the aisle and they had a little girl, they put her right across, not right under, right across, just a aisle there. People sleeping now all around you. If you've been on, how many have been on a train with a sleeper? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So there are people all around. And so the, the, the mother and dad went over, tucked her in and said, Susie, we're right across the aisle from you. And it, don't worry that we're going to have a great trip. You'll sleep super on the train. And so everything got quiet. Mom and dad got in their bunk, little Susie across the aisle. People above and below and all around. And in a little while, little Susie said, Ma, Ma, Mommy, uh, are you there? She said, yes, yes, I'm here. Wait a little while longer. She said, Daddy, uh, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. And so just periodically for a period of time, she kept saying, Mommy, are you there? Yes. Daddy, are you there? Yes. Now, down the aisle a little bit, there's a guy who'd been traveling for about a week. He was dead tired. And about the fifth time she said, Mommy, are you there? He said, yes, Mommy's here. Daddy's here. I'm here. Let's shut up and get some sleep. <laughs> Hush. Hush, not a word. And finally, little girl said, Mommy, was that God? <laughs> See, people have a different view of God. But the Bible says some 577 times uses the metaphor of a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then there's a fabulous statement. I shall not want. The Living Bible says, I have everything I need. So under that, if the Lord is your shepherd, my shepherd, we have everything that I need. We have everything. See, that's a big statement. It is. But then the psalmist goes on and tells us the basic everythings that we have. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything. I shall not want. What do we have? He makes us, he makes you and me to lie down in green pastures. Doesn't that sound good just to say it? Now, a shepherd, you know, has a challenging time in Israel finding green pastures. Down, down in the south, it's all rocks. That's where most of the sheep are. And to find green pastures is something. And he says, the Lord, my shepherd, makes me, enables me to lie down in green pastures and sheep will not sleep and will not rest until there is green pasture. First of all, they have to be free from the fear of predators to really lie down and rest. And then they have to be free from the fleas and the flies that are all around for them to lie down and rest. 
Then they have to have their bellies full. They have to have that desire for hunger and food to be satisfied. And then there can't be any friction in the herd or they can't sleep. See, sheep are like so many of us. They're, they're sensitive and they can't lie down in green pastures until those basic needs are satisfied. We're like that, aren't we? There's tension somewhere with wife, with husband, with kids, with family, with parents, in vocational endeavors, challenges, and we say, well, lie down and go to sleep. I'm wide awake. The Lord is our shepherd. He takes care of so many things. Well, we can lie down in green pastures. Isn't that beautiful? If the Lord is your shepherd and my shepherd, he helps us to lie down in green pasture. So many times I'll wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and I'll say, I'll have trouble going back to sleep and I just have to say, Lord, what do you want to show me? What do you want to say to me? What is this about? And all of a sudden he begins to speak and to heal and to work and to cleanse. And before you know it, I've gone back to sleep in our green pastures he provides for his sons, his daughters, for his sheep when he is my shepherd, when he is your shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water, still the metaphor sheep. Sheep cannot swim. If a sheep tried to swim, it'd be like trying to swim with overcoat on, Right? So they're afraid of moving waters. It's a part of their instinct. And a good shepherd will go and take a moving stream and build a little tributary and provide for his cistern where, where sheep will not be afraid and they will drink of that pure water, that still water. See, that's the good shepherd. You read in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Folks, do you ever spend time just shutting everything down, taking that magical, supernatural phone that we carry around and just say no more and cut everything off and just still and be still and know that I am God is something about when we get quiet and still and we say, God. And God so many times says, I've been waiting for you to slow down. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to take a time out. Still waters. Man, we need still waters if we need anything. When you go to still waters, when I go there, you know what I discover? That I've been going like this. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. But you sort of lie down in green pastures and get by still waters. Oh, that's what the good shepherd does. Then he says he restores our soul. What is that about? By the way, the word soul is almost usually in the Bible used as life. It, it, is, it is you, it is me. He restores my me. He restores your me. He restores our, our life, our soul. And how does this work with sheep? So many times sheep wander off like we wander off. Oh, we like sheep, right? And the sheep will wander off so many times and they will be a little in addition, a little a hole or a little cut out of the rock and they'll lie down and sometimes they'll roll over and they'll get in the middle 
of that little indentation and their weight will shift and they'll move and they'll be on their back and they can't get up. It's called a cast sheep, a sheep that has been cast, lying down its back. And that sheep in that position can live maybe three or four hours in the sun, maybe through the night, but not very long. And the only way the sheep can be brought back to his feet or her feet, the shepherd has to come. And I wonder as we look at that great little chapter in Luke 15, you know the lost and found chapter? The shepherd there was counting his sheep. He had 100 sheep, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Maybe I miscounted, one, two, three. And sure enough, one was missing. Remember he left the 99 to go and find the one because he knew if that sheep who had wandered off was cast, there was no hope unless the shepherd went there and, and flipped him back on his feet. How many times we find ourselves upside down, right? In our individual lives, some people have the idea, well, I'm looking for God. Oh, I sure hope I can find God. I hope I know God. I can tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God is looking for you and looking for me. Even we come in a relationship with him, we say, I found God. No, God has really finally found you. He is a searching, a God that flips us back on our feet. We're seeing an amazing thing happen in our culture today. Don't miss it. Uh, what was it last weekend? Pirates Cole there in, in California. They baptized over 4,000 people. A revival stirring. We've heard about the Ashbury Revival and other universities. Kids and adults, faculty coming to Christ and being baptized. We're seeing this sweeping across our country. It's, it's fine print in the news, but we see it stirring even in our church today, as I, I mentioned, it's, it's God's work. It's, it's all of us together. It is a hunger and a fear in our culture. Rasmussen had a poll, and that's sort of not a conservative pollster. Rasmussen came up and said that 58% of Americans today, or up to 6% of America today, have turned their back on the transgender agenda and said, this is not how we are to live. <laughs> Remember I said prophetically, if I've got a prophetic word in me, that the devil, evil, and the woke agenda will take us so far and they will outstretch themselves and people will awake and say, this is not how man is contended to live. In the beginning, God created man. In the beginning, God created woman. And somebody who would say, well, he made a mistake with me. You know, I'm really wired as a female, but I, I'm built as a male. Listen, folks. If God constructed this universe, listen carefully. I've been over this before. And he has all the weight of the cosmos, the mass of the cosmos of all of creation. And we have seen scientifically, if it varied just a little bit, life would not exist in this world. Uh, we've already looked at the fact that if the earth was not positioned between two large planets, 
Life would not exist in this world. And so all the fine tuning of the universe from water to air, on and on, as those scientists who are in that, they've come to the inevitable conclusion that God has made everything so that we might have life. If God is that exacting on almost everything we look at, you think, well, he messed up with you in creating the highest form of life, created in the image of God. You see, even though we have the corporate world who are buying into this woke agenda, I think uh, we have some corporations that sort of uh, change their mind about this. Have you noticed that? Huh. I think Budweiser has sort of slowed down. <laughs> and what's that other little business? Target is sort of, they, they only, what was it, $14 billion down? I mean, you know, how big. Let me tell you something, folks. Even though you've got the corporate world, even though you've got the world of education, even though you've got the world of almost medicine, because do you realize the tremendous profits that many children's hospitals have gotten with all the hormones and therapy and the surgery that totally obliterates, obliterates the body of our children? Let me tell you something. There is a waking up of America now as we're saying enough, enough, enough. <laughs> Fathers and mothers rear their children. Fathers and mothers have input in the education of their sons and their daughters. Take it a while, but I think this is the beginning and the foregleam of people turning to God and turning to Christ. That's the reason we're seeing the stirring, not only of revival, but an awakening in the United States of America. And I pray God it will continue and we'll be a part of it. God restores souls, see. We get upside down and God just picks us back up. But the tragedy is some of those shepherds who see their sheep wander off, they find them obliterated, eaten by some predator. We see this too, do we not? And therefore, there's a sense of urgency here. We go to God and we pray the shepherd, our Lord will come and restore the souls of people and give them a fresh new beginning and a fresh new life. He restoreth our soul if he is our shepherd. And then a beautiful thing. He spells out for a path of righteousness. A table before us, green pastures, still waters, restoring souls. And then he leads us on the right path, the path of righteousness for his name's sake, his reputation. Have you ever known anybody who truly followed the instructions of God in life and they walked with the Lord and they got on the right path and on the right path that the Lord Jesus Christ 
has prescribed for you and me, and they say, boy, I sure messed up. Man, I've been following God and following Christ, and my life is indeed trouble. Have you ever heard that testimony? Doesn't happen. He prepares the path for us. We're talking about the will of God. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. The Bible starts with it. The Bible says we're to be saved, get right with God through Christ. We're to be sanctified. We're to grow and mature in our life. And and then we're to be servants. We're to use our spiritual gifts. And they may be transferred from our physical gifts. Physicians use their gifts in all sorts of ways. People in all sorts of vocations use their gift. Use our spiritual gifts of teaching, of leading, of following, of serving, of loving. You said that, that the Bible says, what, what do I do? Start off with knowing Christ, being saved. Start off with growing up in your faith. Master Life is doing a lot of this right now, is it not? Then, then we're to be sanctified in the process we're to be served, in the process we're to be submissive to the Lord. That's where we start. And then we say, what would God have me to do? Because we already have that agenda within us, biblical truth built within us then it becomes so easy to know and make the decision of life, does it not? We don't have to grapple over there. Well, I wonder. It's sort of built in because this is built into us. And then we can listen to that inner witness speaks to us. And then we can move out. We get wise counsel from godly people. And we can use common sense. Somebody said, well, I didn't know what to use. I use my common sense. If you're in Jesus Christ, Your common sense and my common sense becomes uncommon sense. It becomes a supernatural sense of God leading us in the right path and the right decision. And then he says he does this for his name's sake. God has a reputation. I challenge people all the time exactly on the basis of what I said. Have you been following God and following Christ and growing biblically and listening to him in a daily way and your life is messed up? No, never. He just has that path out before us. If the Lord is your shepherd, that's the contingency. That's the supposition. Years ago, uh, two men were traveling in, in the Welch Mountains they were good friends, godly men. They would go on hikes for, and they'd take off five or, five or six days. And once they were hiking and they saw a, a shepherd boy, teenager with a large flock of sheep, and they talked to him and got to know him. He was so sweet and fine. And, and he began to talk to them about God he knew in nature, but he didn't know anything about Christ, about Jesus. And so they sat down with him and shared a lunch there way in the mountains, And they led him to understand that God had made himself known in Christ. And they led him to pray a prayer. In order to put it down, they said, look, this is how this worked. The Lord is my shepherd. And they taught them what he thought. They taught this young boy what that meant. The Lord is my shepherd. And the third finger of your left hand, the love, love, love vein that I believe, the love motion that I believe goes through our heart. And they said, look, when you're out here, remember, you've accepted Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. 
couple of years went by. Two men were hiking the same mountains, and they saw a little cabin over there, and they were thirsty, and they went and asked the people there in the mountains they could have some water from their well, and they said, oh, we can do better than that. Come on in. We've got some tea. We've got some water. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a little bite to eat. And so they went in, and they met a beautiful young couple. And as they were in there, they looked on the mantle there, and they saw a picture, and they said, you know, I think I know that, that, that boy there. They said, well, you couldn't know him. He's, he's our son. He was a shepherd keeping sheep. But last winter, there was a freeze and rain, and, and he went out to try to look after his sheep, and, and he fell over a cliff and, and died. And, and said, we found him, and we've been mourning his loss. And they, he told the parents, they said, look, we talked to him about God, about Christ. We explained to him, the Lord is my shepherd, and he knew God. He's with God in heaven. We'll see him if we're in Christ, and we let the Lord be your shepherd and my shepherd. And the parents looked at each other and said, now we understand. When we found him, he'd already been dead for a period of time. We couldn't understand why. His right hand was holding so tight. The third finger of his left hand. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything. That's the question. Are you sure the Lord is your, the Lord is your personal shepherd? 